people, we're seeing business Bilal. There we we're go. Seeing, that's the, like we are getting a taste of business Bilal right now. That's Savor it. I'm not this. really a podcast. I mean, this is just something we talk about. This is actually yeah, what I do Bilal's for a living. Got, yeah. yeah, he's got a day-to-day job here, right? Like, kind do of. not forget. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'll be honest, most of it is walking in the park. So that's the other meme that's not going away. All right, welcome to another episode of Night Investment Advice. You've got Trung Fan, Bilal's ADA. Unfortunately, Jack is a little tied up right now. He's got his Christie's auction going live as we speak. It's been going on. He was about to join, but unfortunately, something's going on there. So he's attending to matters there. But he might jump on if he's able to. Trung, what's going on, mate? What you got to say about our boy Jack working with Christie's? What's going on? Unbelievable. So I'm just looking at Jack's uh, Twitter profile right now. The top thing he he tweeted out, he checks Christie's. It's happening at Christie's 3.0, which is their digital art auction. It's on-chain art platform. So uh, uh, Christie's is coming to 2023. We're talking about an organization. This company is from the 1700s. Like, that's wild, right? You can see this, Um, uh, his little video on screen here as well. Well, dude, you know what you should do? Yeah. Is go to Celia Jack's wife. Go go to her Twitter profile. She wrote an incredibly. I mean, it was it pulled on my heartstrings, man. It was like that was beautiful, Celia. That was amazing what you wrote, uh, Celia. For the listeners and the viewers that didn't see it, uh, Jack's wife uh, wrote about uh, Jack's journey, which Jack has talked about on this podcast. Yeah, you know, four years ago, I believe uh, Celia said four years ago to this day or this week, uh, Jack went to his first. Uh, kind of art show, and uh, I think he made 80 bucks, made $80, uh, and he had to pay to be part of the art show. And now this NFT that Jack created at the beginning of the year, uh, and the same week uh, that his uh, second child was born, uh, they got invited to Christie's, which is one of the two biggest auction houses in the world. We will obviously, uh, well, actually, no, obviously, we will actually be talking about the uh, Christie's, the Sotheby's auction duopoly uh, this episode. But uh, congratulations to the Butcher family. Huge day. Well, let me let me let me give a quick shout out before we continue. And you know, and Jack might even hop in on this episode uh, if he can. Uh, that would be amazing. So I just want to give a quick shout out to uh, Iron Brands, uh, Simple Analytics. Thank you so much. Uh, not sponsored, yeah, but just a they, nice thank not, you. Yeah, yeah, not a sponsor, but they used Barely AI and sent me a really nice email. And uh, listen. I like a good email, and uh, this was a solid email, so shout out to you. Thank you for being NIA listeners. and uh, Respect. Yeah. The NIA family. I appreciate this. It says, huge NIA fanboy. That's huge with six U's. It's so like a Donald sh- Trump huge, or is <laughs> this a... <laughs> hey, hey, hey. All right, well, let's not get on, political. Brother. Yeah, yeah, let's not get political, man. We don't give investment advice. We don't talk politics. All right, so uh, I think two other rules. than that... Yeah, two rules, and... Uh, also, the last thing I'll mention before Bilal uh, teases us off when we're going to talk about this episode is uh, we're going to be doing a little bit of traveling, all of us collectively, in the next couple, over the next month. So we're trying to piece together different episodes. Uh, this one will be very topical, uh, but the, uh, over the next couple of weeks, we will have more evergreen content, which I know some uh, listeners like. So, uh, yeah, that's it yeah, for me. Yeah, some of our most popular episodes have been uh, the one single topic episodes or the AMA, so we'll be doing... At least one or two of those as oh, well. Oh, yeah, so, we got one lined up for you real nice. Yeah, right after this episode. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, so you were mentioning Jack's Christie's situation there. So you you mentioned just before we started recording, there's like a duopoly, you said, yeah? 
So yeah, Christie's well, and Sotheby's. We'll talk about that, but also that you had lined up today. So we're going to talk about Google's AI play uh, at yeah. Bilal's former employer. Yeah, and, exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We've actually we also made got, this running joke. Like it's know, worked it's out perfectly. It's actually yeah, every episode now. Yeah. You have to get get one in. Um, so we're going to be talking about that. And also Twitter's new CEO, uh, Elon, is going to be, because, is it chairman he's going to become? Chairman and Chief Technology Officer will uh, talk about uh, the arrangements. Actually, quite similar to how he's been operating at SpaceX, and then we will talk about that after. But yeah, tee up the uh, auction stuff, brother. Yeah, so w we talked about Jack's auction situation. I don't know too much about that world, except for I've heard of Christie's and I've heard of Sotheby's. That's all I pretty much know about that world. Do, well, first, do you know much about that world apart from the duopoly situation? Like, have you ever interacted with them? Have you ever gone to an auction? Like, what's the, your the level of... The only auction I've ever seen was the one for the U.S. Constitution, when Constitution died. Remember oh, that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like really? I was a part of it. Died. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, dude. Oh, you, you threw in a couple of bucks, not investment advice. Yeah, definitely, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, it is a fascinating industry. Absolutely fascinating. And uh, uh, I'll tell you, actually, who covers it really well over the years. So I'm a big, big, big proponent of The Economist, my favorite weekly uh, magazine to... Yeah, the thing about the also economy not is sponsored. Also not, not sponsored. sponsored. Uh, but my love they were a sponsor of Cray Lab, to be fair. But uh, oh, they were back are, in the day. Weird that they know, wouldn't do I know, something. We, uh, I tried that cross sell, but no, it's, I didn't. It's we're almost not doing the perfect here. yin and yang. They give a lot of information that informs people to make almost investments. Almost like investment advice that we isn't actually the investment opposite. advice. <laughs> yeah, we <laughs> give no facts. <laughs> so they got great coverage on uh, uh, Sotheby's and Crispy, uh, Christy, Crispy's. Yo, Crispy's is You're kind hungry, of a tight son. name, there we man. Go. Yeah. Crispy's, Crispy's yeah. auction house. So uh, going, let, me, yeah. let me tell you a little bit. Let me get, I, I got deep. Uh, uh, let me tell people about the auction market. I'm not going to bury the lead anymore. Crispy's and Sotheby's, they dominate the auctions market. So I'm sure all the listeners here, if you haven't participated in these auctions, you're well aware, and you've probably seen the headlines like, hey, Picasso sold a $100 million painting at a Christie's auction, right? Like, that's what they do. So uh, I pulled up some super interesting details from uh, a bunch of Economist articles I've read over the years. But uh, here is uh, here are a couple facts I'll hit you with about the auction market, which is, uh, it's actually very fascinating. So it is a duopoly. Christie's and Sotheby's, they do about $8 billion each a year. And... Uh, there's this line in the Economist article explaining when and why do these auctions happen. It's called the three Ds. These these auctions happen because of death, debt, or divorce. As Damn. if people put typically paintings, but in uh, the within will. yeah stat. But within recent years, uh, uh, what's kind of happened with the market is, and you'll know this, man. We've actually talked about this stuff over, and obviously Christie's 3.0, like NFTs, is a kind of a new entry to the the auction market. But it's typically paintings, but Wines become a thing. Like, obviously, you probably have wine collecting friends, yeah? Yeah. You have a my uncle is actually a yeah. massive <laughs> one. Funny <laughs> there enough, you go. my Pakistani Three uncle. Wear, jewelry, yeah, watches. Like uh, sneakers. Yeah, exactly, right? Like, uh, limited supply. It's the same everything. ideas, yeah. Exactly, right? It's like whoop. storytelling and limited supply. I think that's the two you things that bring it together. And if you, I, I, I love that framing because their job as these auction houses is, I mean, let's be honest, like who are their customers? Super wealthy people, right? But they're also trying, for example, this Jack's NFT thing. So I think Jack mentioned to us that he had the lowest reserve price uh, at Christie's, maybe Christie's history. Is it Yeah, $8? I mean, I know he was, because he wanted to keep it consistent. So I saw, I think it started at $8 or zero point whatever ETH. Yeah. And that, that's smart. I mean, because he's keeping consistent. It's also by the time 
we started recording, which is only like an hour or basically two hours after the auction started, it was already at like five grand or something like that. Five E, five E, probably, probably was five E, probably actually, yeah. So actually, to your point, right? I think you nailed that the reserve price is actually very interesting. Uh, The reason why you want a high reserve price, obviously, is as an auction house. The way auction houses make money, they're about three ways is it's called a buyer's premium so they put a, a number on top of whatever the person that's consigning the product uh, or artwork to them wants so like if i had a picasso i'm like i'm only going to give it to you christie's or to you Sotheby's if you can guarantee me a reserve price right and the reserve price is basically this auction house uh, uh buying they're not buying but they're guaranteeing you so if you they don't sell it at that price they'll take the loss right and uh, so they'll put a number above the reserve price and it, it typically it's something extra, which is called a buyer's premium. So they got to make a little bit extra on top, right? And then- So wait, just to clarify, so that's Christie's or whoever putting up money. Yeah. They're, they're saying we're selling this for a minimum of X. Exactly. It's they very, have to, very different to eBay, which is my yeah, experience and, of auctions. You know? <laughs> the well, opposite dude, end. <laughs> well, I think, no, but it's really interesting, right? Because like uh, what's actually happened in recent years is People with this super expensive artwork, like let's say you're a billionaire with a Picasso collection, you're actually playing Sotheby's and Christie's off of each other. You're being like, you're going to Christie's and be like, hey man, Sotheby's is guaranteeing me 60 million. I'm going to consign them this piece of artwork. Like, can you do better than that? Then the, uh, then Chris uh, Sotheby's will be like, okay, okay, we'll give you, uh, we'll guarantee you 65 mil. And if we'll eat the difference if it doesn't get to that level, right? And um, so obviously a lot of this involves uh, at the art side, understanding the art market. And uh, I mean, these individuals, the same way that, you know, we, like you, me, and Jack, like value memes, like the people out there valuing uh, uh, value artwork, right? But uh, I mean, both of these uh, both of these auction houses, they're from the 1700s. Like, these are extremely old auction houses. Christie's is from 1766. Sotheby's is from 1744. So they got a ton of brand equity built in. So if you're super rich, you trust them to be the people that A, can value your artwork and B, can find the buyer for your artwork, right? So a very, very uh, interesting business. And the other ways to kind of make money on top of the buyer's premium, which is what they put on top uh, uh, of the reserve price and the seller's commission, because they also have commission for selling, standard procedure. Everybody gets commission for selling, you get that. They do a lot of uh, private brokering and then they'll do a lot of like uh assessment for artwork to see how much it's worth. Uh, like if you're in a state, you want this, your product, if you want your artwork appraised, because again, remember debt, death, or divorce. Yeah. In a divorce, those assets are getting Triple split. D's. Yeah. Triple yeah. D's, right? Uh, That's wild. Yeah. I, I don't know any other questions on that front. Well, no, I'm just, I'm just, have you read much about how, why rich people will specifically invest in art because obviously there's an actual interest for a lot of people. It's kind of like, you know, sophisticated, whatever you want to call it, rich people shit, the same way they like wine or whatever, but specifically the benefits of art because I, at Charity Water, we did a auction of art in the past. We actually did a Banksy piece. I don't know if we ever talked about this, but we auctioned off a Banksy piece and the, ours, um, the, the head legal guy, general counsel, he his half half of his job the head legal general counsel yeah yeah his name Barton great dude he half of his job was working with us as the head of you know general counsel and then the other half was working with people like Christie's and and stuff like that I'm pretty sure because he was a big art guy and I remember him talking to me about all these tax benefits related to um 
essentially, I think it's like it's like the way you give money to a nonprofit. I think you get similar benefits with art, but I think there's even more specific rules. Do you know anything about this? I'm not familiar with the tax benefits of it, but uh, uh, it sounds very plausible. And the other one, I'm going to ask you this. Jay-Z. <laughs> uh, well, not Jay-Z, sad, but like, I mean, people, listen, if you, you know when you tweet anything, you're going to get like the, the complete opposite response of what you're asking for. The money laundering is another one. Mm, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, not yeah. saying, I, I don't know how prominent it is, but listen, if you can have $10 million into something this size, this artwork, well, dude, actually, there was a uh, there's a Netflix um, there's a Netflix documentary about a robbery at a Boston museum, and they're talking that actually artwork was huge for money laundering uh, in the drug trade because they would basically okay, I want ten million dollars of drugs from South America. Here is my guarantee. No investment advice, say, yeah, yeah, no yeah. investment advice. But you're I, right. I mean, they... obviously, you're right. That seems logical, right? Like, if you could put $10 million into something like artwork, for listeners, I'm like doing the hand square thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks like you're raving in the 80s. Yes. There. But yeah, no, it's, <laughs> I completely get what you're saying. No, And again, this is not to take anything. This is completely separate discussion to what we were talking about earlier with Jax, obviously, doing like an amazing piece that I don't want to distract oh, from dude, that I, but I, yeah i do not want to i'm not but, distracted from that no no of course but we have talked about when nfts popped off originally like uh 2021 i guess was, was that the year that things really went wild um there was a lot of discussion around are people money laundering through nfts and stuff like that and i, I didn't really understand how did how that would work but it sounds like people had money to wash and they're able to buy something of value um and then sell it to get e for bitcoin or whatever and then that money is kind of washed, but I don't fully. Know, I I don't know well, enough dude, about look, washing money. Well, let's money. talk about the reality, right? <laughs> yeah. Art returns pretty well. That's the like certain art mm, yeah. pieces and certain artists return extremely well versus equity markets or or uh, bond markets or real yeah. estate, right? And, and it's listen, an alternative it, asset, right? It's like yeah, it's, it's not asset. correlated to the economy. Have you ever it's bought Masterworks? Have you? Are you? Have you no, ever invested? No, but in yeah, I've spoke. Yeah, I've, I've know of the company and I've seen well, like what they do. Can you explain actually what the company is for the I think it's something like fractionalized art ownership, right? Yeah, I think so that's they, what they, they call they it. They own like Banksy's and Picasso's and they let you buy a fraction of it. It's you've kind actually of like what we talked it? about, fractionalized NFTs and stuff in the past. So Exactly. But you're buying, you know, more traditional art and you're getting exposure to the art market without putting up 20 grand or 50 grand, 100 grand yourself. Exactly, right. So, I mean, the way I'd wrap it is like, I think you nailed it, right? It's an alternative asset. And I mean, these markets aren't like, the, the art market is large, but it's just like, it's a sliver of somebody's portfolio, right? And then there's obviously the benefit of having it hung up in your in your living room. Although uh, uh, a lot of these shows now, like Billions and Succession, they talk about the free ports, which is like this duty-free area where people can store artwork and, uh, and, and other valuables that don't get taxed. I think alluding to your tax, your tax benefits thing. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's a way, listen, it's a place to put a lot of money, right? And uh, and, and that money appreciates uh, in a lot of different artists and artworks. But the other thing I'll say about the auction world that is quite interesting is, so they actually compete with galleries and private brokers. So a lot of their competition, so there is this, there is absolutely this uh, duopoly of the, the mainstream auction houses and they do 16 billion combined a year. Uh, they're all over the world, uh, but they still have to go up against galleries, which know the up-and-coming artists really well, and so they're partnering more with the galleries. They have to do stuff like they do with Jack to attract a younger generation. And, uh, yeah, I just think um, it's super, super fascinating industry, man. 
Uh, I would actually love to get a, a, an expert in that industry on this show. Yo, Alisa, I'd love to get Jack's opinion, having worked with them. And, uh, well, maybe when things calm down a little bit, friend, we can get that from him. But, yeah, yeah that's a great uh, wrap on that. I think we can move on to the next topic. But before we do that, I do want to shout out some of our new commenters on our clips. Uh, this is pretty jokes. Right? We shared this in the Telegram earlier. Let me see if I can share my screen without it messing up. If not, we'll ask Rafa, our editor, to put it in. Can you, can you see my screen okay there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so this is a great little clip of Trung explaining the horror movies from last week's episode, I think. So first of all, if you're not on Instagram, uh, if you're not following us on Instagram, it's not Advice Pod, uh, and I think the rest are NIA podcast. We couldn't get that handle. This is an old one. But uh, yeah, some of these comments are incredible. Uh, like my favorite couple here, bro, who the fuck are you and why are you giving people advice? You gotta explain which is the why this is so funny though. <laughs> like, and, because and we always say we're not giving advice. It's also it's called, called Not, not Investment advice, advice Pod. That's the handle. And it yeah. goes, Trolley explains why horror movies can be made on low budgets. Cheech NW writes, bro, the fuck are you giving people advice for? Like, and then, uh, yeah, another guy, what advice was given? And anyway, so these guys are messing around. This is also worth a mention. Rick Dagger, this young man is absolutely correct. I agree with every word. I'm from LA, etc. But just the fact he's calling you young man is already beautiful. So uh, there's a I very think, high possibility. A, I'm probably a decade older than him. And B, that's why it's hilarious. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not that you're old, but you're also the oldest of all three of us too. So yeah, uh, I mean, I'm get, listen. I'm not not old. Like I'm getting there. You got that Asian blood, man. You got that um, baby face look forever. I'm sure. So anyway, so the shout out to those people, and uh, yeah, definitely go follow us on there. We're we're posting more clips. Rafa, our editor, is doing an amazing job with Crushing sharing it. Thank those you, snippets. Rafa. Share it on your stories, etc. People would do it. That, that one already had like thirteen, fourteen thousand views. And we've got like 50 followers. We've just started posting it, so we Bro, don't have anyone on there. I think about how many people took that as advice, and now they're going out there trying to That's make it. horror movies on a low budget. Incredible, yeah. <laughs> they're going to be making AI video movies next. So, all right, let's move on to the Twitter's CEO situation. Trung, I know you're obviously um, closer to this than I am. You're a Twitter power user. Um, I am a Twitter I think power you've user. spoken to their team in the past from my understanding. So what is your understanding of what is happening here? I think you mentioned... Elon's done this in his other companies already. So this is probably the plan all along. This is actually down your alley in the sense of this is yeah. the digital ad space, right? So well, who is Linda, this, first of all? Who's Linda the new? Yaccarino yeah. is the, uh, supposed to start in about five weeks now uh, as Twitter's new CEO. But the responsibility split uh, that Elon mentioned uh, publicly in the tweets is he's like, I'm still responsible for system operations, infrastructure, product. Uh, and he officially has a ton of chief technology officer, and he's the chairman. She is the CEO. And um, I looked at the organization. The information had a good piece, uh, or interesting uh, dive into the organization this morning. And it looks like, so Twitter, before Elon took over, was about 7,500, 8,000 employees. They're down to under 2,000 now. So I think about a third of those employees, six to 700, are in, in, in ad sales. So, and the ad sales situation, as you've probably heard, Bilal, it's fallen 40 to 50% uh, year on year. But we have, to, we have to put this in context that the entire ad market is down. Yeah. Like, this is correct, right? The entire yeah, digital yeah, the ad market is down. Everyone's down, I guess. Uh, but I think Twitter might have been hit Twitter's harder down because little, yeah, it's definitely they're more hit brand harder. advertising. We, we've talked about that before. 
So brand advertising goes down more during recessions. It's first get cut, right? Yeah, there's then, two. There's two. There's direct response, which is more like click my ad, buy this now, or like a conversion based approach. And then there's a brand like eyeballs. So there's yeah. if you think of a traditional marketing funnel, one is upper funnel, one is lower funnel. So Twitter can do both, but mostly I think they've positioned it as awareness, own a moment, the Oscars are happening, trend within people uh, talking about whatever. Versus, so this is relevant yeah. because Linda comes from NBC Universal. She's exactly. a chair of global advertising there. Obviously, they have a huge current events business, live sports news. And uh, she helped Smart. launch Peacock, uh, which is the streaming service. So she has experience on the, I think they have ad supported and subscription. So, well, here's my question to you, man. This is like, this is your realm. Is uh, There's a lot of signaling going on here, right? Like she's traditional advertising media. Like she was handling 13 bill a year in advertising sales for uh, NBC Universal. Like, is this to you like a signal that Twitter's like, you know what? We have tried and we are rolling out subscription-based products. Like I got a subscribe button and, and, and more payments options. But at the end of the day, like Twitter's revenue, 90% is advertising. Like, how would you, how does yeah. this signal to you? Yeah, I think that's a good summary. I also think it is someone in the leadership team that complements Elon, right? So Elon is still doing product, technology side and leading that. And she's going to be kind of like, the I would see it as like the way Sheryl Sandberg, I don't want to directly compare because I don't know enough about her, but the way Sheryl Sandberg came in for Facebook, obviously very different situation. This is almost like a turnaround situation versus um, Facebook was just organically growing to a certain size. They needed to become this grown up organization like Eric Schmidt at Google did for Larry and Sergey. But I would say similarly here, it's not that Elon needs a grown up because he's you know a very established CEO and experienced. Um, but I think it complements his skill set. And more importantly, she comes from that world. And she, I think with both her digital and traditional experience, that is who you're selling to. So either way, you're selling to the same organizations, right? Massive Fortune 500 brands. And you need to speak the language. You need to understand how money is transacted. You need to know about the life cycle of selling that through. Sometimes it's like a year-long process to, you, you mentioned, I think you mentioned earlier, upfronts. I don't know if that was before we recorded or yeah, while we started. Yeah, talk about it. So uh, 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 yeah. I would love your, you to explain what upfronts are because yeah. somewhat uh, someone brought up is like, so she was supposed to be the lead presenter for NBC Universal's upfronts just this past Monday. But I guess the news came out. Some people are saying that it was leaked or uh, it was like some move to get her to commit to the role. I have no idea. All yeah. I know is that she was very, I mean, she was the global head of the advertising NBC Universal. So what are the upfronts? And how relevant is that to potentially a future for Twitter? And the reason I throw that in, though, is like you see tons of old digital media, Vox, BuzzFeed, Vice went out. You know, we're talking uh, the equivalent of bankruptcy or Vice did declare for bankruptcy. Or in the case of BuzzFeed, they had to shut down BuzzFeed News. So, like, the digital media upstarts of 2010s aren't doing super fresh. Meanwhile, like, traditional cable, their cord cutting is happening very fast. Like, people are giving up the cable subscriptions, right? So the question I had was, Tucker Carlson, former Fox host, controversial Fox host, was, well, he hasn't even officially left Fox yet, but he's announced that he's starting a new show on Twitter. This may involve him like having some type of agreement to get out of his contract with Fox. But do you see a world while you, especially based on the fact that you used to work in this industry, where Twitter can eat some of that current news, live sports budgeting that used to go to cable. I don't even know how that would happen. But so upfronts yeah. on one end and that on the other. Yeah. So yeah, great question. So I'd say the summary on upfronts are if you think of how 
big brands by advertising? Because I think a lot of people who haven't worked in that world or worked at a big company where you're part of that decision-making process, you just you might have a frame of how me and you might buy Facebook ads, right? Me and you go up, we're self-serve, we sign up for an account, we can set a budget of $50 a day, $100 a day, whatever, and scale it up from there. Once you hit, start hitting a certain amount of money, you then get reached out to, right, by the team. What number? Like, oh, what number? Like, uh, it, it varies. There's, there's like SMB level, you know, uh, and then there's like the large customer sales. Give a number. Like if you're well, a Facebook. Well, I'd say like large customer, I know it's probably like in the several millions a year you're okay, spending. Okay, okay. And, and sometimes like some of my clients spend over a million a year and you might not even get in touch with people properly because yeah. the way it's also a little bit laggy because if you spent that in Q1 this year, they, they've already allocated the accounts. And so you might only be in their team the next following year. So there's all these like stupid things that you wouldn't know unless you're working in it. Um, and specifically for traditional advertising, that isn't how things used to work, right? You just don't open an NBC universal advertising account and say, I want to spend $100 on TV. You you go and speak to that. It sounds stupid, right? You're like, how? No, well, no, yeah, you're right. You're it's like, it's so it's like, hey man, now we're gonna test out yeah, fifty dollars. Uh, we're gonna target yeah, Vietnamese yeah. Canadians During the game, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So that is kind of when we moved from a world of like very much planned. You had what's called a media planner at an agency, and you had people at NBC to speak to, and you'd say, hey, I'm you know Nike, and I want to spend a million this year, um, and we're deciding where we want to put off for their case, hundreds of millions or whatever we want to decide, are we putting it to NBC or are we putting it to Google or are we putting it to Facebook or are we doing it at Discovery or whatever? And, and then so like those... how, tell me more about this media planning bit. Do yeah. they, so if, let's say that you're NBC Universal and you, are you the media planner or you're saying the media planner is going to NBC Universal? Well, so there will be someone at the client or the, the brand itself. Uh, so Nike, Nike in this case. Yeah. yeah, so that'll be a CMO, head of marketing, you know, head of brand, whatever, whatever the org looks like. Then concurrently, you'd have an, often an agency working with you and those agency will have media planners and stuff like that too. Okay. And then the third pe person is the platform in Google and Facebook's case or the publisher in the case of a TV channel. Twitter, Just like don't a, forget Twitter. Yeah, don't Twitter, forget exactly. Twitter. You're right, you're right. Yeah. So, um, and so the upfront, to answer your original question, what upfronts are, is this kind of older concept that came from traditional advertising from my understanding, which was, you you know, basically they would give you incentives to commit upfront a certain amount of money. So NBC would say, if you commit to $2 million a year spending on our platform in 2024, we're going to give you all these, you know, value add benefits. You're going to get a team to work with. We're going to do brand lift studies. We're going to do it, give you bonus impressions, et cetera, et cetera. Dude, this is gold, man. Yeah, you yeah. You could so, get the first survivor slot. When people are watching yeah. Survivor, you will yeah, get like, stuff like that, right? There's, there, it's, everything's on the table. So that's why traditionally... Like if Elon Musk comes into Twitter and says, I'm going to fire all the salespeople, that's the, which I, he obviously hasn't done that. But if he did, that's what you're missing, right? By firing all those people, you're missing all the people that are actually having those conversations and negotiating with the brands and convincing them to do upfront with I just want to put a number Twitter. here, by the way. I think yeah. the upfront numbers, they spend, they commit a hundred billion plus a year. Is that, does that I sound about right? I think that sounds right? about right. Yeah, yeah. Because from the last numbers I looked at and it could have changed if about six, $700 billion is spent on ads a year, right? Okay. Across oh, yeah. the, and that might've gone down. I don't, I don't know the number exactly, but um, just if there's six, 700 billion spent, if a hundred of that is, you know, let's say 10% or a little bit more, that is those big brands actually committing, that makes a lot of sense. Let's do some napkin math. Yeah. Some quick napkin math then. Twitter's uh, revenue pre-Elon, five bill. 
It's tracking to about three bill this year. Big loss on the advertising side. You're, you just mentioned this is a giant upfront pull. Obviously, Twitter missed probably a, a real upfront this uh, this recent upfronts, but I think there's a, a, there's another round of them. But the whole point B, there's this massive pie, right? And like for her to move the needle on that massive pie, like does she have relationships to get Twitter two to three billion a year? Uh, potentially, potentially, right? But I think the relationships are like the foot in the door because people from that world know her, they respect her. Yeah. But what she will need, and I'm sure she knows this better than anyone, is a narrative to say why Twitter versus everyone else. And one is the cable people, like where she comes from, versus Google and, and Facebook. So if I was her, and I'm just literally thinking on the spot here, I'd be merging those two things. Google and Facebook aren't best for live events you know, like live TV and whatever. But, and TV is amazing for live, you know, sports at least, but they don't have the discoverability, the measurement, the engagement, real time, the, the two-way conversation. Exactly. And so the way we used to sell it when we did like YouTube stuff, there's, if you think of how you watch TV, it's kind of like a, a lean back approach. You're just watching TV, you're hanging, but most people are second screening now. They're on their phone, yeah. they're tweeting. So, and that's called like a lean in. You're like engaged, you're on the screen while you're watching this thing. So I think that's like a nugget of where th things would potentially go in their man, pitch. Man, Bilal has dropped somebody, Twitter, go, go CMO, get me on that. Uh, hire th this man. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. I love that. I love that you put on the Twitter CEO hat. Uh, yeah, but yeah. You mentioned something actually about Linda. So she's known as the Velvet Hammer. So apparently she is extremely, uh, very tough negotiator. And you mentioned it. Uh, something earlier about the parallels with SpaceX that we were talking about before we recorded. So Gwen Shotwell, uh, who joined SpaceX in 2002-2003, she's the president of SpaceX now, but it's widely known uh, within the industry, the organization, and just uh, uh, any media that covers the space industry. She runs day-to-day -day operations at SpaceX. She's the one that handles the government contracts. The Wall Street Journal had an article about the parallels with, uh, uh, with it looks like the relationship and the 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 org chart that's being built. So Elon is still, I believe, the head of engineering of SpaceX. I believe that's his title. So he works on the engineering challenges, uh, the most important engineering challenges. And uh, Gwen Shotwell has relationships with the government, with NASA, uh, with private sector to do these massive uh, star, you know, SpaceX contracts. So you know, this it looks very similar what's being built here, and also. SpaceX is very well known to be like a uh, a very experimental organization. Like they 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 well, we just saw they blew up Starship, right? It's like they want to iterate quickly. And uh, I mean, we're seeing it now. Twitter. The thing with Twitter and uh, I don't whether you're on it or not is like yeah, there's a lot of chatter because you see a lot of products get rolled out and then uh, and, and then just uh, just taken away like shortly after and they're testing quickly right like yeah, the speed definitely. of iteration is going very fast there's going to be a lot of else like they've that's definitely the they've definitely launched that's the one thing I'll definitely give them is they've launched so much in yeah. such a short period has, of time has everything hit no definitely right? not like, but like, I respect just like that they've been there, shipping right? stuff definitely and uh it does provide a new energy to it and listen there's going to be a lot more of these launches that don't end up working out but I think the key is to your point can Linda uh Yaccarino sell a narrative to these brand advertisers, right? And a bit of that, then now there's a balance. There's a bit of a balance where you, you can't be iterating too quickly and like doing, I mean, you can, but it's going to be harder to sell a narrative if things keep changing. Yeah, definitely. And I'll, I'll also say beyond the kind of a, the product evolving on the ads product side, that 
just being objective needs to evolve a lot too because the first stage is getting parity with the two main players, Google and Facebook, or Google and Meta, uh, with certain things. And I won't bore people with all the details, but well, things dude, around measurement, like, like just the way, I mean, just from my limited experience using it is there's been, it's a lot more buggy, it's kind of clunky, like you'll run a campaign and things will mess up a little bit more. Uh, there's just a lot less control, I find, versus, you know, Google and Facebook just is way more advanced in the way yeah. they've developed the product itself. Mind you, those two companies, $300 billion plus a year exactly. in ads, yeah. right? Like they're Completely. monsters. They're, yeah, they're, exactly. So Different it's ball not, game. But you're saying game. the Twitter has to be at, like at least have the same tooling, right? Exactly. And and specifically, one thing I'll say that's different to their launching, you know, they, they're, they're launching all these features on the consumer side, which is great. And they can roll that back, which I think can do some damage to the perception of it, especially with, the Elon, uh, you know, discussion in the press and stuff, but whatever, that's going to happen. That's that's less damage, I'd say, because a few users who don't like it and don't come back, that is kind of the risk. But the difference between an advertiser not coming back is there's a lot more time lag, yeah. right? Like you're now going to have to convince them a year later to try it again. Um, and the money life will make a big difference for them. So that's the part where I think they have to really hone in on why it's unique and why it's special and make an amazing product specifically for that. And uh, maybe they do. And I, again, I don't use it enough to say um, otherwise, but from my experience, it hasn't been the best. Uh, I love so, your narrative though, man. You're like, hey, I'm going to walk in here. You got TV, Bilal's like, you got TV. People, we're seeing business Bilal. There we we're go. Seeing, that's the, like, we are getting a taste of business Bilal right now. That's it. I'm not this. really a podcast. I mean, this is just something we talk about. This is actually yeah, what I is do Bilal's for a living. Got, yeah. yeah, he's got a day-to-day -day job here, right? Like, kind do of. not yeah, forget. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'll be honest, most of it is walking in the park. So that's the other meme that's not going away. But yeah, so um, anyway, I think that's really good on Twitter side. Anything else on that? I think it's cool that they've, they've uh, hired her. Excited to see what she brings, but I think it's beyond her. I think she's going to be uh, complementary to Elon's skill set and knowledge. And if she, if he gives her the platform to be able to actually go and develop the product they need on the ad side, I think they there's no reason why they can't take a sliver of a massive market. But I think they've got a lot of work to do there. So Google's AI announcements. This happened at the end of last week after we recorded last week's episode. So. We're not going to go into every single announcement, but what we will say is you saw the market cap shot up, right? So uh, How much? There was, 150 bill? Yeah, well, I, I saw a tweet on the day of where Tanay, our boy Tanay said, Google added 55 billion market cap today after announcement at Google I.O. That's 400 million for every mention of the word AI in I their keynote presentation. I don't know if people saw that meme. It was hilarious. So funny. So you know what's hilarious? Oh, this is why I love the internet. I'm not saying the internet's infallible, Somebody literally watched that presentation and like, yeah. I'm going to cut every single every time AI. says the word AI. Somebody sat down and cut every single, and then made a super cut of it. Well, I will say, I hope they used, and this again, not a sponsorship, but Descript, the app. Have you ever used Descript? Oh, started by have, Andrew you Mason. told me to do it, yeah. Yeah, the, the ex-founder of Groupon, super smart guy. It's one of the top guy. AI products. OpenAI invested in them. Exactly, and so the, if anyone's ever editing a podcast, I, I don't really use it myself, only for like sponsor reads because I hate, um, you know, if you've got filler words that you can take that out and yeah. stuff like that. But um, 
that oh, can actually bro, you can upload you the video and you can, i mean probably because you can just search the word yeah. ai and you basically just go cut 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 you literally copy and paste it like text it's really cool actually so anyway so that was uh, i think the the amount it went up in market cap may have been even more than that but that's regard that's not really what we're talking about it's really just about the fact that narrative wise i think this is the high level for me they needed to do this right they they're already lagging perception wise uh, with OpenAI, OpenAI got a head start. Explain why Google I/O is a big deal, by the way. Yeah, I've Open uh, Sorry, um, Google I/O is kind of the yearly conference where Google would announce. It's like the developer conference, but they'll always it's announce their new big products. Event, right? Yeah, it's kind of like how Apple has their you know big event yeah. where they launch the iPhone and stuff like that in the past. Um, but Google does that, and it's re it's normally really good. And um, you you'll see a lot of the Android stuff back in the day got launched there, and you, you you always get to see the new stuff, which is why it's always been interesting. And because Google's got so many products, there's always you know like literally a hundred announcements and stuff. So most of the time you miss most of them. Um, but for this one, it was all centered around AI. Understandably, it's the hot topic of the industry. One thing I will say though is there's kind of obviously a joke about every startup throwing the word AI into their company to get their market cap or Barely the valuation up. Exactly, exactly. But I will say, I mean, Sundar has been literally saying this at Google I.O. for a while. Um, well, for years, literally for years. Year. Google is an AI company. They've been saying AI company from before the recent hype cycle. Um, now, we'll get into that actually in next week's episode, which is an AMA. One of the AMA questions was about the AI hype cycle, how that compares to other stuff we've seen like crypto and stuff like that. So I would say Google Fear is genuinely, yeah, I mean, <laughs> Google, people forget, again, I'm obviously a little biased there, but just trying to be objective. Google has been an AI company for a while. It's not like OpenAI invented AI, right? Like AI has been around for a while. Well, there, the GPT, the yeah. language model was a paper Came written from by a lot Google of, Brain. Exactly, exactly. And, and DeepMind so, is owned by Google. Yeah, and people, like, just the simplest example, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this already know this, but when you're searching for Google, the suggested search is, of course, AI, right? That is, when you type it in trunk and then it fills in fan dating. Trunk yeah, fan network. Trunk fan, yeah, exactly. <laughs> or they're like, is trunk fan single, you know, for those thirsty ladies on the internet, whoa, you know? Whoa, whoa, Or thirsty buff, guys, buff. 2023. Rafa. Rafa, we you might have to edit that. You <laughs> yeah, might yeah. have to edit that. But, you know, uh, the suggested search is obviously AI. So, again, that's a not chat GPT. Chat GPT is incredible, right? Uh, it takes no, things to all, another dude, level. Order, it's all... It, uh, we're going to address this next week. Yeah. Uh, but it's like you said, man. Dude, you have to think about the same way. This is the analogy that Benedict Ebbins, former uh, venture capitalist at Andreessen Horowitz, and now just tech analyst in general, always says. It's like in the late 70s, when Oracle created a database, they're like, oh my God, wow, you're a database company. Well, guess what? Two decades later, there's a things database company. Everything's a database company, right? It's like the same thing. Yeah, yeah it's like saying every a technology tech company, company or, yeah, or, or a software company. company. Yeah, it's yeah, just it's like, like people don't a, think of Facebook as a software company, but or an app. Like the, Facebook is an yeah. app. Like if I explain that to my mom, she's super confused. She's like, I'm using internet explorer or something to access facebook and i'm like yeah that's a web app like it's in your browser <laughs> if you put it on your phone it's and you know so it is interesting that we talk about this all the time on the web 3 front in the past it will become mainstream when you don't use the stupid language like oh yeah, this is an nft an, this you is know what whatever there everything's an ai company but i think what you the point you're bringing up though is like specifically is generative ai and we're talking about the most recent yeah. hype cycle when are they Completely. integrating 
text to image, one of the integrating these large language models into their consumer products. I mean, the presentation, right? It says right there, you got six products with over 2 billion users, right? So Google search, Android, Drive, YouTube, uh, Chrome. what are the other ones? Did Chrome? you already say Chrome? No, I didn't say Chrome yet. And there's one more. I got a picture here. Say uh, Gmail, search, Chrome, Android, YouTube. Oh, and Drive, Android, Gmail. Maps. Yeah, there you go. Gmail. Yeah, okay, Gmail. there we go, yeah. And here, they have 15 products with 500 million users. Ridiculous. Man, ridiculous. And we talk about this all the time. It's a, it's the theme of the show. We will obviously are fans of this distribution. And we've talked about how my, not just Google, Microsoft, Google, Anyway, and, and OpenAI too, because they are partnered with Microsoft, they've got a massive investment for Microsoft, they can now just plug in to products. If you're using PowerPoint, you're going to have this. Exactly. This distribution. If you're using work, you know, Slack or whatever, there's going to be, uh, oh, sorry, Microsoft Teams, sorry. Uh, you've already got integration there. And so similarly with Google. So let's just call out a couple of the announcements that were kind of we interesting. Don't, you don't even have to do screen share. Let's just walk yeah, yeah, through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just going to, because of my... I'm going to read this off my phone. So we've got Bard, obviously, Bard Which is, is the chat GPT, GPT competitor. Have you used it? What do you think so far? Because you I haven't obviously... used Bard yet. I've heard, uh, I've heard mixed reviews uh, versus chat GPT. Did you uh, listen to All In last week? Yeah, I did. They, they did were, a whole they, segment on it. They're very split on it, right? On, uh, and so I'm, it I would just, again, being, I know we joke about a Google thing, but genuinely, I'm actually the most, like to all my Google friends, I'm the most, um, what's the word? Uh, where I'm like, I'm like, oh, this is terrible sort of thing. I can't think of the word I'm thinking of right now. And to the outside world, I'm obviously kind of defending Google a lot of the time. I'm normally kind of in the middle because most people at Google are overhyping Google stuff and outside I think people underestimate it in this space specifically. So I'd say I'm kind of in the middle, but my genuine uh, opinion on it is ChatGPT generally for most of the stuff I've used um, works mostly better. But there are some things with Bard that I was like, wow, that was so much better. And for so example, not for real, some of the real-time stuff, they've got access to Google straight away, so it's more up-to-date. Maybe ChatGPT4 has more of the um, new stuff. We've used the plugin well, or whatever. The, the plugin has a the plugin, yeah. access. But Google has Google's data, right? So you get access to all this stuff, which is very good. And so even now, I'm planning a big trip. I'm using it for stuff like that, like tell me things to do in this region. Oh no, more off the beaten path, five miles away from the beach, blah, 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 blah. How do I that... find somebody with a flower shirt in this yeah. city? <laughs> That's a callback. If you've been listening that to is, if you know oh, that if reference. You NIA, there you go. There we go. Exactly. So for stuff like that. And then the second thing I did, health stuff. That okay. I was like, wow, because I'm literally saying, is there anything in the medical literature that mentions this? Is there a ah. link between these two things? And I was really. Because I just finished the Peter Atiyah book. We were t uh, talking over text about that Outlive. Uh, we could do that on maybe another episode. Um, but so a lot of the science was kind of fresh in my brain. I was almost like testing it from what I'd uh, read. And I was like, wow, this is a summary of like basically a whole chapter that I just read on like one specific thing. So for stuff like that, I was like, this is really, really good. Um, and so the whole piece, it gets way better. But there are some hallucinations that I was seeing that I was like, oh, this is completely off. Yeah. Um, and so that, that, but that happens to chat GPT too. So I'm using both of them, trying to be objective. I still find myself going back to chat GPT, but Bard is like very quick. That's another thing. It's, you know, quick, like kind of like Google search versus chat GPT. It doesn't do the whole generating thing. It just like hits you with the answer. 
Just, um, right, just directly into your eyes. Yeah, and it's basically I'm feeling lucky. Brain. Exactly, it's no, the, no. I'm feeling lucky button straight away. So I think Bard, something to watch. The other stuff that I think is interesting, obviously in uh, in Gmail, this is a no-brainer. Um, Google releases help me write an email, but you can just say write me an email of XYZ and it will pretty much do it. And then you could adjust it like you do in ChatGPT and say, or, or barely, barely AI. AI. Yeah, or barely say, Make AI. it friendlier, make it longer, make it shorter, add in some these sort of language, um, be angry or whatever. And it works pretty well. For stuff like that, I think it is going to work really well. I hope Superhuman adds that integration. I saw they launched um, some... They have an AI product, yeah. They said they have, but I'm well, waiting for access to it. they already are an AI company. Everyone They is. already are. And I would love, because honestly, I, I, I still pay for Superhuman like a real tech boy, but it's... It's, it's actually the best email app for me. I personally really Fair value enough. it. And yeah. I hope they add that in as well. The other thing I'd share was the Bard Adobe Firefly announcement. Did you see this? Where um, they do, uh, you can, because uh, before they've had Magic Eraser, right? Like this is part of the Google's AI. A yeah. few years ago, they introduced like Magic Eraser where you can erase people from photos. But I think this Firefly agreement with Adobe is text to image stuff, right? And like really edit photos. Exactly. And that, yeah, so the magic editor, I think there was a revamp to that too. And then the last thing I'll just mention, there was just like this big integration with Adobe, which was um, something about AR, AR, sorry, augmented reality. Um, I think that's best seen over a video, so we can throw it on a screen here as well. Um, but I saw, did you see the Google Maps thing? That was very cool. That Same was essentially, um, you could say, you know, show me this route from, you know, Prospect Park to Central Park. And you, they've basically created this AI visualization. You can like zoom out and preview your your like route from above. It's kind of like um, Google Earth imagery, I'm sure, merged with you know more uh, of the user generated content, I think, as well, or the general street view stuff. But it just kind of like flies through, and it's actually oh, it's, so really, it's really visually, really interactive. Amazing. Yeah. So they're using all of this stuff. It's like. They've had a lot of this stuff before and they're weaving it together, right? And it's the same way. Oh, the last one actually that was really cool was the Google Translate stuff. So that was interesting because you're going to, let's say we want to translate like Mr. Beast does. Mr. Beast has a whole strategy around turning English content into Spanish, Mandarin, etc. Yeah. And he has a whole team developing all of and that for him. And each of those channels has tens of millions it's of subscribers. But let's say we're not Mr. Beast and we want to do our own stuff. This will apparently be able to translate what we're saying right now to another language and even adjust the lip movement. So oh it's goodness. kind of, obviously it's not going to be 100%, but it's going to be closer than just a dubbed thing that you'd have, you know, manually doing it. So stuff like that is, that is pretty mind-blowing just to see that actually work, at least in a demo. Let's see how it works in real life. Um, but yeah, oh, yeah, what do you think clear, from the not outside? All these products are, they're going to be released yet, yeah. by the end of the year. Uh, uh, like drip through. So I'll, I have one comment. Uh, I have a question for you, actually. Do you know how on Google Maps, when you're navigating traffic, it will be green, yellow, or red to indicate if yeah. there's traffic or not? Do you know how Google comes up with that? Because I just found out. I've from I've looked at this before, and I think it's two things. One is people's phones and seeing uh, how fast they're moving in traffic and stuff like that. Yeah, and aggregating that, which yeah. is kind of crazy. Because yeah, they can crazy. see if enough people on the highway are going at 12 miles an hour, that means it's traffic. But literally, they're looking, they're, they're using, if like you're an Android time. user, yeah. they're aggregating anonymously. 
Yeah, Anonymously and I wonder. I'm not even sure if it's only Android or if you've got like Google Maps on your on your iPhone. Even I'm not sure oh, how that works. That's a good point. And then secondly, they bought Waze, and my understanding was I'm pretty sure they've weaved in Wave, uh, sorry, Waze's Waze. data in yeah. as well, which makes sense because that's user generated. People say there's yeah. a build up on here. So if you combine those two together, I actually find it in most places I go anyway pretty accurate, like oh, in dude. LA or when something you're driving where you get and you mad see traffic. The red, you're like, oh. Oh, yeah, you're, you're done. about to hit that red. I don't see but that often. It is quite accurate. Drive here, it is, but, yeah, yeah, fair enough, man. Um, well, that's pretty incredible. Com- yeah, it is incredible. Uh, I'll just add two quick things about the. Well, I'll add two things that you didn't mention, and then I'll just give my thoughts that you asked for. Um, the two things I'll mention is the search itself. So they are integrating AI into search, but the way they're integrating is it, it is not the way that Bing has done it. It's not going to be chat first. They're going to have Bard that we discussed. That's a different kind of vertical product. The search AI stuff will be, if it's a commercial search, if you're looking for a bike, they're serving you the ads. They're serving you the sponsored, right? That is interesting, right? Yeah. Yeah. But it's already they know, they're like, listen, we're not going to, we're doing it the way, that, I'll be honest with you, man, I like the Google search box. I don't even know, like, ChatGPT to me is a toy different thing, man. I still have that behavior, my yeah. change. Um the other thing, though, is like if it's a non-commercial, you mentioned it. And they actually used the exact example you said, planning a trip. Uh, if you're searching for something that's not directly commercial, like, yes, you can sell ads against a, pl- a trip plan, obviously. Like bookings.com, we talked about in previous episode, is one of the biggest spenders on Google, like 10 to $15 billion a year. They'll buy any travel keyword. But if you're like, hey, listen, I, I'm doing a six-week trip. Uh, my son likes uh, outdoors. Uh, my daughter likes uh, museums. Can you just make it all for me? And yeah, that's the you will get an AI answer, which integrates uh, primary sources, and then you can probably plug ads in there somewhere. But um, um, I, I yeah. was thinking the same when I was using I was using both ChatGPT and Google Bard for this to compare them. And like you said, even that query, which is very helpful to have the chat assistant helping you, if I was saying. I'm, I want to do this beach, beach, beach in this part of Italy, whatever. Um, that was a perfect time to, to upsell me, basically, yep. an activity. You say, oh, you're going to the Amalfi Coast. Would you like a day trip to Capri? Yeah. And that, that would be a paid for but thing. But I was giving away relevant. his vacation. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> one of the things. Yeah, exactly. So, so it's all fresh in the mind right now. So, yeah, that one. I mean, I would 100%. I mean, the next step for me was asking what are day trips to do? And that is yeah. a commercial uh, query and if there were ads there, yeah, I, I don't want ads there straight away. But that someone's gonna have to figure out how to make money. Makes from a this. lot of sense up so, so right? Yeah. Now and the, the last thing I'll was, say. Oh, go go oh, ahead. I was just to say they're Google Docs, so they have integration with slides. Oh yeah. Word. Oh sorry. Uh, uh what's it? What's the Google Docs word? Docs. Word. I think it's just called Docs. Yeah, Docs. Yeah. And then uh, oh yeah, but the whole thing is called slides. Workspace. Yeah, slides yeah, yeah, and yeah. Uh, sheets. Oh, uh, AI integration there, same that Bing did, um, and that Microsoft did with uh, Office Suite. And then uh, the something we didn't mention, but I will bring up, was the Google Memo. So Google Memo, by a single engineer, this is not representative of the entire company, was leaked about uh, two weeks ago. And yeah. the, the thrust of the memo was that these large language models are, are largely all going to converge, and, and the winners is actually going to be open source. Because yeah, way more people are experimenting on those platforms, doing stuff locally on phones, and like doing stuff that you just wouldn't even think of doing if it's all centralized, right? And the 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 takeaway from that Google memo 
everyone in tech industry is talking about it, is uh, that Google engineer said that the winner will likely be as of today. And he's looking at it. He thinks the winner could be Meta. And the reason is Meta has an open source large language model. They quote unquote leaked it, but a lot of people think that in the past Meta's actually leaked uh, open source things uh, because yeah, they get all the benefits, right? Yeah, so it's like hype based in it. Yeah, they're, they're, like, oh, they're everyone's using oh, a really proprietary yeah. thing, but yeah. But now they get to use all of the uh, advances and innovations that are made on that open source model, right? They don't have to pay anybody a licensing fee. It's open source. Uh, and uh, their large language models, L-L-A-M-A, Salama. And um, what's interesting is uh, this has been said by a lot of uh, analyses. It's not original to me, but like it's like you commoditize your compliments, right? So Facebook wants to make large language models a commodity because if the large language models are a commodity, and we've talked about this before, you have an edge if you have proprietary or sick data. And guess what? Facebook has proprietary data of 3 billion people. So... Highly beneficial if they can make That's large true. language models a commodity. And uh, Zuckerberg on an earnings call even called it out. He's like, listen, we have different motivations with large language models than Google, Amazon, or Microsoft. They want to sell cloud services. They want to have an API. It's like, we don't care. We want people to standardize. Like, obviously, it's not philodopic. They want people to standardize. So it's so that they part use of that the stuff, of course. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, or they don't have to pay a lot and then they get the advantage. But uh, yeah, that was a takeaway. Uh, so great. open source is a big deal. Yeah, uh, I think so we could probably do a whole episode, honestly, on the kind of future stuff about open source versus um, yeah, those AI. players. But that's a good little preview into that because I think we should cover that at some point. Um, all right, I think we should uh, wrap this one here, man. Anything yeah. else on that before we close out? Uh, well, the, nothing to add. Uh, hopefully Jack's thing's going well. That's all I'm going to say. And uh, I'm yeah. sure it is going well. But uh, Congrats again, Jack that. and Celia and the whole Visualize yeah. Value family. Yeah. Everyone Amazing go uh, work. give him a congrats and uh, support our boy. If you're in the market for a piece of artwork, go and uh, make sure you're bidding on that. Because by the time this comes out, I think it's still live. The auction will be a few days. Okay. Um, yep. So, uh, yeah, either not, way, not incredible. Investment, not investment advice. Definitely not, not investment advice. But if you want to um invest in art and that's your own choice then you should go and uh, check what check out what he's doing now but well, all jokes bringing out all the very, caveats <laughs> yeah all very very it's pretty incredible to see what you've done Jack. i know you're not on this call but mad respect mad love to you guys and uh we know from you know close up like how much you've been hustling on this and the kind of struggles you've had mad early on trying to be just a straight up artist selling your own, you know basically spending money to become an artist yourself and now you know, the hard work has been paid off, so respect. We're and, looking uh, forward to hearing that. Uh, we'll, yeah, the we breakdown. can't wait to hear the full breakdown of uh, this. 100%. But uh, yeah, awesome, man. Amazing. All right, awesome. All right. Thanks again for everyone's support. Uh, the, over the next few weeks, as Trung mentioned, we are going to be mixing it up. There'll be times where all three of us aren't available, and we're going to uh, have two of us like we're doing today. Uh, we're going to do some AMAs and stuff, but we'll still be bringing you episode every single week. Uh, so uh, bear with us through the summer period but we'll be bringing barely you the heat with us. barely with us exactly yeah. anyway thanks for your support and we'll see you guys next week cheers bye bye <laughs>